Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Ticket Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Pulse by Public.com, providing tools for IR teams to engage with retail shareholders. I'm your host, Noemi Di Stefano. Kicking off the first episode of 2023, I'm joined by my colleagues, Tim Human, senior reporter at IR Magazine. Hi, Tim. Hi, Noemi. Great to see you. Great to see you too. And Lloyd Beaven, reporter, editor, contributor at IR Magazine. Hi, Lloyd. Thank you for Hi, being Amy. with us today. So I hope you had a nice Christmas and New Year. And of course, before we dive into today's topics, I want to wish our listeners a very happy new year from me and the rest of the team at IR Magazine and of course at Corporate Secretary. Not long before the holiday break began at IR Magazine, we released a global and regional investor relations practice report 2022 which looks at how IR teams operate around the world and at different market caps. But of course, Lloyd, you are the pen behind these reports. So I wanted to get a pulse from you on some of the key findings from this year and also about the report maybe before we we dive into the findings, what it is about. Tell us more about it. Okay, so um, the Global Practice Report has been going on since 2011. Um, It's part of uh, our extensive research process into IROs around the world. Um, part of our global IR survey, um, we ask a number of questions with regards to sort of like general key um, data points with with regards to IR practice. Things like budgets, how big your team size is, how many analysts you have following you, how many meetings you go to. So it's essentially a broad landscape of how IR is around the world. Um, so not only do we have global figures, but we look at each area from each region, and we look at each area from uh, each cap size, so small cap, big cap, large cap, and mega cap. Um, because of the number of responses that we get from the survey so often, we're able to go kind of one step further in the sense that we're able to give average figures for cap size within regions. Yeah. Obviously, our listeners who don't know about it, they can find details from the regional peers and different yeah, market exactly. uh, sizes. And uh, of course, the, the report is available on our website. Um, but just to give some headlines figures, Lloyd, what would you think was maybe surprising or what would you like to, to highlight from, from this year's report? Well, something I think that everybody is concerned about is budgets. Mm-hmm, so that's always a, a big one to sort of start off with. Um, now, I mean, as a classic, this is a classic example of what you see this year of, of how the global figures might not necessarily give you uh, like the full story. Um, when you look at the global figure average for the budgets this year, 2022, sorry, it's uh, 336,000 is the global average. That is 1,000 up from last year. So it looks like nothing has changed. When you start to look down in the regions, though, it tells a different story. So a classic example of what has happened um, will be in, in North America. Budgets have typically fallen over a number of times, but when it came to the pandemic, they drastically dropped. But they're back up again this year. So they have recovered. They've recovered slightly, but they haven't recovered to the full degree. 
uh, that you found in 2019. So we have now figures of just over 400,000. So they're coming halfway, basically. Um, it's a similar story in Europe as well. But when it comes to Asia, what you see is a drastic drop off. So uh, they have continued to fall in Asia and they've continued to fall quite dramatically. So to the point now where in 2022, you're seeing budgets typically half the size that you saw in 2019. Okay, and I mean, obviously, what is happening, for example, in this region with China at the moment is, is very topical. But before we move on on that and we look at Asia a little bit further, in terms of budgets, uh, why would you say it's the reason, in your opinion, for you know a slower recovery compared to the other regions studied? Well, I, I mean, I think the key thing, and this is just the... Things just haven't picked up in IR in, in, in Asia. So whatever the reasons were for the budgets falling in the pandemic, in Asia there is kind of seen no reason to recover from those. And that's an interesting thing is, is actually what is the relationship between the pandemic and budgets and why they have fallen and uh, why they seem to have picked up in, in North America. Remember, I mean, as well, this is a covering a period 2022. Most of the data from this, Though we're actually looking at 2022 budget figures, we're covering the year from Q3 2021 to Q3 2022. So yeah. a lot of that period as well is still in pandemic restrictions for North America and Europe as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Of course, we will find out. Tim, you've been in this industry for... A decade and more. I'm sure a lot of uh, our listeners uh, will know you. And um, just wanted to ask you, what do you read into this? What is your opinion? Maybe just start from Asia. Thanks, Naomi. Yes, I think following on from uh, what Lloyd was saying, um, it, it makes sense. We're, we have to do a certain amount of guesswork here for the reasons behind the budget changes. But um, it makes sense that in Asia, where there's been a lot more restrictions due to the pandemic, which have lasted a lot longer, that that's an area where IR budgets haven't recovered yet. And I think we're, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It was only this weekend that China opened up travel between the mainland and Hong Kong, and you know I think removed restrictions or quarantine for people traveling to the country. And so, yeah, the, we can see there that restrictions are only just being lifted. Um, and just anecdotally talking to companies in the region, you're hearing stories of them you know, traveling to Singapore for conferences for the first time in three years. But that's only, you know, last November, last October. So sort of the tail end of 2022. Yeah. So that, you know, that kind of travel is going to continue this year. And I think we should see budgets uh, picking up again. Sure. And rightly, you said we're recording this on Tuesday, that's the end of January. So it's just uh, been, we just entered the the second week of January, the first full week back at work. And uh, now, as you said, it would be interesting to see what happens next. And uh, this just reminds me of another area um, that the report covers, which is the one about investors meetings. I mean, what, for example, what are the data from the Asian region um, in terms of investors meetings, or maybe we should even look at what do you think it will happen going forward uh, with the China reopening in that specific region? Sure. So the the Global Practice Report has figures on how many meetings companies um, hold with investors, and that's broken down with uh, in-person meetings and virtual now, because virtual is such a big part of our activity. And so it's really interesting to see the report because that gave a bit of an insight into how that sort of in-person virtual balance is shaking out or shook out in 2022. So in Asia specifically, 
Uh, we saw an average of 14 one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings in person with investors, so a really small number, and that's the 12 months to uh, Q3. Um, so not, not very many one-on-one -on -one meetings happening, which ties in what we've, we've been discussing in terms of restrictions. However, one thing that's similar to, uh, between Asia and the rest of the world is the proportion between uh, in-person and virtual. So both in Asia and globally, you see that there's about 25% of one-on-one -on -one meetings at the moment, the companies are holding with investors are taking place in person, and 75% virtual. So we can see across the world, companies are still sort of concentrating the majority of their interactions sort of in, you know, virtually through Zoom, you know, Teams, those kind of things. Sure. And I was listening to a couple of um, interviews that Tim, you had with uh, a couple of IROs from the region in occasion of the uh, Greater China and Southeast Asia Awards this year. And a lot of them were making the case of, you know, we're not sure we will go back to in person because there is a cost involved in this. You know, I maybe it's not very, you know, it's it's not convenient for companies to go back to fully back to that. So maybe we should look at hybrid. What is your view, uh, Lloyd and, and Tim, on how this will, will evolve maybe in the next 12 months or so? One thing it is kind of clear that you see is that um, virtual was a godsend for the pandemic. Um, uh, yeah, you did see um, overall investor meetings levels drop, but they did sustain pretty positive views towards virtual meetings now there are more positive views towards in-person meetings but it's not a kind of like a in-person good like um virtual bad yeah you know so um there's clearly a lot of things that have been um picked up there's uh, clearly a way in which people have having seen the access and seen the possibilities that uh, virtual brings necessarily seeing whether or not that that will continue. Um, the interesting thing now, but this is just kind of 2022, whether or not it actually stands through, is if you look at the level of uh, senior management involvement in meetings um, in person, though they're a very small amount at the moment, they tend to be quite high. I just wanted to like look um, at also uh, market the different market caps when it comes, for example, to what we're seeing, what trends are we seeing in this um, um, investors meeting space. But just before we dive into that, Tim, for example, what we were talking about, you know, forecasting what will happen next year with this meeting. So you talk to a lot of IROs and you have recently talked to a lot of them in the region. Do you do you get like a sense of this is what investors want? But what are you getting from your conversations with IR people. Right, I totally agree with what Lloyd was saying that we're going to see you know a continued increase in in-person meetings. We've come from you know extremely low level two years ago, twenty five percent last year. But I think that that's going to keep going up. Now I think the question is whether it say for example is going to go over fifty percent. I, I think that's probably doubtful because both investors and companies just have found so much value in meeting virtually, uh, not needing to travel you know, being able to work from home. I think that we're going to have a, a significant amount of interaction is going to stay virtual going forwards on a long-term basis. Um, I think there's some other barriers to in-person meetings as well, which are sort of coming up. Um, first of all, um, as has been written a lot about in the press recently, the sort of working week is now a lot shorter for, for most people. You know, we're really in the office Tuesdays to Thursday, like and Fridays, basically like a weekend. And so there's, there's just a shorter amount of time that people are available to do 
one-on-one meetings, which I think does play into you know how much you can organise. Um, secondly, um, investors have just got a lot of other things to think about aside from meeting companies at the moment. You know, we've got so many macro factors which are dominating what's happening in the market. You know, from inflation to interest rate rises. Uh, you know, the ongoing war in Ukraine. And so in those kind of situations, investors are going to be slightly less interested in individual company stories and are more focused on other areas. And that can lead to a little bit less interest in organizing meetings with companies as well. So I think there's a few different factors, aside from just the effectiveness of virtual, which are sort of holding back more in-person meetings. Of course, yeah, very valid points. I mean, we will investigate how people feel about this, how IROs feel, how investors feel. Uh, Stay tuned for our IR Magazine Spring issue coming up in a couple of months. Um, But just uh, to stay in meetings, uh, just before we move to something else, uh, before we run out of time, Tim and even Lloyd, if you want. So I uh, wanted to take a closer look at more granular data. For example, if we look across market caps, are you seeing any major difference between, say, mega cap companies and small cap companies when it comes to preferences in investors' meetings? Uh, not um, in, terms of, in terms of preferences in investor meetings. Um, that remains pretty consistent. And also the kind of like level of senior management involvement. Now, senior management involvement tends in within meetings Traditionally, tends to be that you'll get maybe a bit more a small cap, but there isn't a dramatic kind of like difference. It's the volume more than more than the style, I think. Okay, thank you, Lloyd. Great insights from both of you on this report. Um, and obviously, just just a quick reminder to our listeners that the full report is available on our website to subscribers. And uh, just before we wrap things up do you want to add anything else yeah i think one area to think about is you know some of the unknowns for 2023 and how that could affect some of these figures um so you know the one big topic that's being discussed at the moment is whether we're going to have a recession global recession and if yeah. we do have a recession like yeah. how deep will it be i think economists at the moment think there's a a 70 chance of a u.s recession for example Obviously, we're talking about budgets, we're talking about travel, you know, senior management involvement in IR, you know, I think all of these things could be affected by a recession. Uh, the most immediate impact for companies and IR teams could be budget cuts, you know, finding it harder to get uh, permission for travel, those kind of things. So that could change the way that uh, companies uh, think about their investor relations next year. But I don't want to end on a, you know, Negative negative point talking about recession and <laughs> how terrible everything's going to be in 2023. So I would say I think overall, you know, given the additional responsibilities being placed on IR, you know, from ESG, yeah. from you know hybrid engagement, you know, all that kind of thing, you know, um, you know, better produced investor days and so on. I think overall we should see resources, budgets, and so on going up. But you know, depending on what happens in 2023, they could dip short term okay thanks tim for ending it on a positive note and thanks lloyd for being with us today uh we will now go into a short break but stay with us companies are always looking to build stronger relationships with current and potentially new investors if you are a public company pulse by public.com can help you build deeper relationships with your investors Share your company narrative with innovative formats. Make investor information more discoverable. 
reach retail investors where they're already engaged, and much more. Pulse by Public.com helps IR teams engage their retail shareholders, amplify company communications, and gain actionable insights into retail investor audiences. Visit public.com slash pulse to schedule a free demo. Welcome to IR Pulse, the segment where we talk to IROs, analysts, and other executives about the evolution of IR. This month, we are joined by Katie Perry, GM of Pulse at public.com. Welcome, Katie. Hi, James. Great to be with you. Thank you very much for joining the Ticker podcast. We'd love to ask you a few questions about the space that you're seeing. Perhaps we could begin by asking about retail investor myths and debunking those myths, uh, sharing your insights from public's recent survey of uh, more than 3,000 retail investors. Absolutely. So public.com is retail investing app. So we have 3 million users. So a wide kind of view of what's going on in the retail investor space. Um, And what's been really interesting is kind of watching the evolution of retail investors over, you know, 2020, when a lot of them came in 2021, when everything was kind of booming to last year, which was marked by a lot of volatility. Um, So we frequently survey our, our users and kind of unearth some of those trends. And some really interesting things emerge in that research. Um, The first is that volatility actually tends to build confidence in a lot of retail investors. This is when they're really stepping up, learning about methods of research and really being even more plugged into their portfolios. And a lot of them, over half half of the investors, 18 to 44, actually say, in the volatility, they became more laser focused on research. They want to dig into company announcements. They want to listen to the earnings calls. So it's actually making them more engaged, which is really, really promising. Um, It's not dissuading them from being active participants in the market. On the contrary, it's actually bringing them closer to the process. And a lot of them also said they're focused more on diversification, which isn't super surprising. But what was interesting was that the number one way they said they were doing that was actually exploring and adding companies across new sectors. I see. And where are these retail investors actually getting their information from? It's really interesting to look at what those signals are because they are getting information from a broad range of sources. Um, But some of these sources are actually more important than you might think. So in our research, they actually said their investing app was the number one place they were getting information. So 70% of people said they're looking to their investing app to get information. Um, That was followed by financial news media, and and about half said they get it from Company Direct. So there's an opportunity there for companies to kind of find ways to get information to retail investors outside of their owned IR channels. Um, Social media also made the list. About 45% of people were using social media. But what was interesting there was that in the last six months or so, that's actually down about 8% along with um, inputs from friends, family, and peers, also down 9%. So that could be a function of the volatility in the market, and maybe people were kind of following things they were seeing online or from friends, and now they're kind of becoming a little more disciplined in their their decision-making. How does access to company leadership and authenticity factor into retail investor decision-making? 
It's more important than you might think, actually. So in our research, 51% of our investors said it's very important, meaning they frequently look at who's leading the company, how much access they have, do they feel like they can trust um, the team's ability um, to grow that company. And across all of the, the respondents, 90% said somewhat or very important. So the majority of retail investors are looking at this. Um, the challenge that poses, I think, what we hear from a lot of our, our partners and IR teams is that how do you create that access in a way that is compliant, that isn't, you know, somebody having to run their own social media channel on the side of everything they're doing? Like, what are the ways that you can demonstrate that you're getting information to retail investors, you care about them, while also making sure it's compliant and following along with all of your existing processes? What are some examples of companies innovating in terms of how they engage retail investors? So at Public, I lead Pulse, which is our B2B arm, and we work directly with IR teams and asset managers to basically help streamline and, and think about the where they're, re they're reaching retail investors. So we have partners who are doing really interesting things by collaborating with investors on the public app. So one example is Terran Orbital, really cool company. Um, their ticker is LLAP, and they actually build small space satellites. Um, so they, they actually run a monthly show on our app, an audio show called Views from Space, where we curate um, different speakers to talk about the space economy. So a few weeks ago, we had some NASA engineers talking about how they work with the private sector. We've had McKinsey analysts. Um, so that's really effective because a lot of investors are interested in their category, but they don't necessarily know the company yet, and they can demonstrate thought leadership. We also host town halls regularly, which is an opportunity for an executive to do a Q&A in, in our platform with retail investors. Tilray is an example of a company that has one of those coming up, their CFO is going to come on and take some questions after their upcoming earnings call. That's really important for companies like Tilray. They have a very high uh, retail investor base. And then we also do things like post earnings re recaps in the app. So recently the Paramount CFO came on after their earnings call and did a 15 minute summary of what was covered on the call specific for retail investors. And that just gave retail investors a moment where they were able to get that information in a digestible way directly from the source. So a lot of companies are kind of thinking about how, how to do this within a framework that works within their existing IR processes, but also reaches that, that retail investor base that's growing at a lot of places. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about retail investors that IR teams might have? So I think different teams think about retail investors in different ways, but on the whole, to summarize, I think sometimes if you look at the headlines over the last year or so, it's been largely focused on the meme stocks, on the role of social media. Um, but what's interesting is in our research, um, we asked, what are the what are the signals you're using to make decisions? And actually, momentum or buzz around a stock was last. So what came in higher than that was, you know, belief in future growth potential, belief in fundamentals. Um, Forty percent said they want to invest in companies whose values align with their own. Um, so a lot of factors weigh into this, and sometimes yes, that kind of buzz around a certain asset could be a factor, but it's definitely not the leading factor on the whole for most investors. What are some of the common pain points you hear from IR teams when it comes to solving for retail shareholders? 
Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with IR teams, uh, financial communications teams, and a few trends really emerge. One is just strategy, how, how to reach retail and what to do. It's obviously a very different audience. It's almost more akin to consumer marketing at times than um, IR, and that, that has different types of you know, storytelling strategies, different methods of getting that message out. So the the how is is often a barrier for people because it's such a different audience. It's more broad. It's more diverse. Instead of you know uh, targeting a small group of people that you know relatively well, it's a big group that has a lot of unknowns. The second is just where to reach them. We've heard people you know talk about different channels they're using, but it, on the whole, outside of an IR website or IR social channels, it's really hard to know where these investors are going for information. And where you're reaching them is often separate from where they're actually making decisions, which is why we built Pulse at Public to kind of create a space where people can share that information right alongside where investors make decisions. And the third thing that comes up a lot is just time. I think IR teams are very strapped resource-wise. They need to prioritize institutional, obviously. They need to prioritize their analyst relationships, but they, they don't want to forget about retail. And so the question is, how do you kind of check that box and how do you effectively reach that audience in a way that's not going to um, you know, eat into the time you're spending in other strategic areas? And I think the last thing that comes up is, is a little more nuanced, but I think sometimes retail investor outreach can kind of fall between different functions within a company. So uh, an IR team might care about it, but also, you know, a consumer marketing team, loyalty marketing teams, uh, exec communications teams, it crosses into a lot of different functions. And sometimes that makes it difficult to know who's owning it, who should be leading certain initiatives. And it just makes things a little more complex. And it sort of reminds me of kind of how social media used to be in the marketing world about a decade ago, where there was a lot of questions around, is it marketing? Is it PR? Is it customer service? So these are things we're working out as an industry, but th those are the most common things we're hearing. Oh, I'm afraid time is against us. Let me ask you just one last question, please, Katie. What do you think the ultimate impact of retail shareholder growth will be on how publicly traded companies organize their IR teams and execute on retail investor engagement? I think there's a, there will be a lot of changes coming to kind of how, how teams think about and structure around retail investors as this trend continues to grow. I think you're going to see more of an emphasis on where this should sit and more collaboration within companies, specifically at consumer brands. I think there's a lot of opportunity there if you think about if someone's a, a retail shareholder, they're probably a customer as well. We actually have data that backs that up. So how do you kind of bring that all together? Um, and think about these people as, you know, one, one person who's interacting with your business in a bunch of different ways. So I think that could lead to, you know, different skills being needed on IR teams, different ways of working within an org to make sure you're really making the most of those connections that you're building. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Katie Perry, GM of Pulse at public.com for joining the ticket by IR Magazine. Much appreciated. Fascinating insights on retail investors that our IR teams around the world will enjoy and take on board. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. The gender pay gap has been subject of a hot debate in recent years across industries around the world. Even in IR, difference between male and female IROs exists, so the gap might have started to shrink.
So how much have women in Aya broken through the glass ceiling? Find out by reading the latest Women in IR 2022 research report by IR Magazine. Compare the gap in salary and seniority between men and women with your regional and market cap peers. Discover the professional backgrounds, career paths, training and responsibilities of men and women in IR. Learn more about how IRO's career aspirations differ depending on gender. Read the latest Women in IR 2022 report, available to subscribers on irmagazine.com. You have been listening to the latest episode of the Ticker Podcast, brought to you by IR Magazine in partnership with our sponsor, Pulse by Public.com. Huge thanks for their support. You can learn more about Pulse at public.com forward slash Pulse. Thanks also to everyone who took the time of being with us today. For our listeners, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you like and subscribe. Leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, thanks for listening.